Anyway, it was an exciting day. So they're getting married pretty soon. Okay, what's the most significant event other than Kitty and Christian getting engaged that happened in your life? Okay, Jesus. Okay, let me ask you guys this. Just let's, let's forget the cornerstone in America and your life and whatever else I said. And let me ask you, what's the most significant event that's happened in the history of the human race? The resurrection of Jesus. The death and the resurrection of Jesus. Guys, did you guys know that tonight, this is, this is, this, this is, we're going into Good Friday tomorrow, right? It just happens to coincide with our study through the book of Luke that we're hitting Good Friday on Good Friday. Is that cool or what? So we're going to open up the Bible to where we were going to be anyway and look at Luke 23. And I want to, I want to remind you guys where we're at. Okay. Most significant event in history is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you guys to remember where we were last week. We talked about the, the responses to who Jesus was. Remember we talked about the Jewish leaders, how they responded to Jesus with hate, right? Remember? And then Pilate responded with just like, he just wanted to avoid Jesus. And Herod responded by going like, hey, can you, show, can you do something for me? And Barabbas responded by going free. And the last person that we looked at last week was Pilate's wife, and she responded to Jesus by being the only person in the story that we read about last week who stood up, who was willing to stand up for the truth in spite of the fact that it, it could have cost her something. And we found out that the reason that she did that is because she had had an experience with Jesus. And we actually looked at um, records, the historical records by the son of Emperor Vespasian who wrote the history of the wars of the Jews and talked about how Herod's wife, I'm sorry, by how Pilate's wife had been healed by Jesus. Do you guys remember that? Yeah, that was exciting for me. So here we are in Luke 23, and what we ended last week with Pilate finally saying, I give up. You guys have him. Go kill him if you want. So they laid him away. The Jewish leaders lead him away, and as they were headed out of the city, they seized. Are you guys look with me in verse 26 of chapter 23? Luke 23, verse 26. As they headed out of the city, they seized Simon from Cyrene, who was on his way in from this country. He was on his way in, in, into the city from the country, and they put the cross that Jesus had been carrying on him and made him carry it behind Jesus up to the crucifixion site. So here's my question for you guys in regards to this guy, Simon. With, I mean, there's, there's a million people in Jerusalem right now, probably. Pass, it's Passover time. And people come from everywhere to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So there's probably a million people there. And trying to get in and out of the city is like squeezing through a line at Walmart on Christmas Eve. I mean, it's like hard to get through. And so with all these people who are squeezing in and out of the city, and they're trying to get this, the, these criminals out of the city to crucify them. And they choose Simon to carry Jesus' cross. So you can imagine, just imagine like Simon. Simon's like... I'm just trying to go in to buy something. Why are you guys bugging me? But why was it? Of all the people that they could have chosen, did they choose this guy, Simon? You almost got him. Oh, you got him. Why did they choose Simon? Huh? Racism. Where's Simon from? Cyrene, where's Cyrene? North Africa. We don't know exactly for sure, but... I think it's pretty clear that the reason they choose Simon from Cyrene is because he is a foreigner and he looks like a foreigner and he doesn't have the clout, the status to be able to say, no, I'm not going to carry this guy's cross. So they choose him because even at this time, people 
are facing racial discrimination. So what I want you guys to understand is just think about that. I mean, I think it's, I think it's very likely that this is the reason why. And I just want to say a little bit about racial discrimination, okay? I want, I want you guys to understand that racism comes from the pit of hell. It comes from Satan's plan for humanity. All people God created are equal. There's no race that is superior to any other race. And you guys know that here at the Cornerstone, we're doing everything that we can to step on the head of Satan in regards to racism. We will not let racism stand. There is no, there is no race that's superior to any other race. God's eternal plan has never been to allow one ethnicity to be better than another ethnicity, ever. That was never God's plan. There's a reason why it was that way, and I'm going to explain that to you guys. And this relates to the death of Jesus, and I want you guys to, to see this. Ra but racism is one of the greatest evils that the world has ever experienced. All the bad things that you think could have happened, racism is one of the worst. People saying, I'm better than this other person because I was born into a particular ethnicity. That is not okay. It wasn't okay back then, and it's not okay now. So let me tell you guys how this happened. Do you guys want to know? Okay, this, this, is, I, this is kind of blowing my mind, so I think you guys are going to be excited. But let me tell you what happened. When Adam and Eve led the rebellion of the human race against God, what happened? What, happened? what, was, what, was, what was the big picture story of what happened? The ownership of, of planet Earth and the ownership of the human race was taken from humanity and handed over to the devil. You remember when Jesus is, is being tempted and the devil says to Jesus, if you bow down and worship me, I'll give you the human race because I have the right to give it to anybody that I want. Remember? Do you guys remember this? He, the devil's telling the truth. He receives under his power the human race. I want you guys to see a verse that is really interesting. So Deuteronomy 32.8. And some of you guys are going to read it in your Bibles and you're going to be like, I'm not sure that exactly it says the same thing. So, but because, because some of the translations translate it differently. But this is how was this is this is how it's translated um and i want you to see this so if can you guys put it up here when the most high assigned the nations their inheritance when he divided all mankind he set up the boundaries of the people according to the number of the sons of israel nope you didn't get the you didn't get the email that i sent you because that is what it says in the masoretic text now you guys know what the masoretic text is but what but the masoretic text says that the Septuagint says something else, but the Dead Sea Scrolls, which are the oldest manuscripts that we have, and that's what, I, what I'd sent you because I wanted to make sure that, that that was what was up here. It says, does anybody have what it says, divided up the peoples after the number of the, guys, listen carefully because it matters, after the number of the sons of God. Now, what does that mean? And the reason that that's been, that the, Mas, that the Masoretes changed it, and the reason the Septuagint people changed it is because they didn't, it didn't make sense to them. Okay, Do you, but I want you to be carefully listen to what this is saying. That when the Most High divided up the, the inheritance, the various ethnicities, he set up boundaries and divisions between the people according to these sons of God. Now, what were the sons of God? 
And sometimes you read through this whole thing in the Old Testament where he talks about the sons again, and you're like, what's that? For example, Genesis 6. Do you guys remember this? Remember? Sons of God took the daughters of men. Do you guys remember this? And you're like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. And then also Psalm 82. We're not going to look at all that right now because we don't have time. But in Psalm 82, it's talking, God speaks to these sons of God and says, you guys are all going to die. Who is he talking to? He's talking to spiritual authorities that took control of people groups at the time or in the, in the big picture when humanity turned away from God. Guys, this is where, now I want you guys to see that, that, that in the same book, in Deuteronomy 4, 19, this is back to, are you guys, have I totally lost you so far? Okay, not yet. Okay, I'm going to try not to. Deuteronomy 4.19, I want you guys to see this. We're going somewhere with this. Deuteronomy 4.19, God is warning the people of Israel about something. He says, when you guys look up at the sky and see the sun, moon, and the stars, and all the heavenly array, do not be enticed to bowing down to them and worshiping them. Remember, like all, like all these other people are doing. They're worshiping the sun. They're worshiping the moon. They're worshiping the stars. They're worshiping all these deities that are personified with all the, with, with, with the heavenly hosts. And he's like, don't bow down and worship them because the Lord your God has apportioned all those things to the, all these other nations under heaven. That's weird. God assigned all the nations to these other deities? What's that all about? Well, God didn't, God, this was not God's original plan. God's plan was that every person would worship him. But when humanity rebelled, they, they chose, humanity, we chose to put ourselves under the authority of the devil himself. And, the, and, we, and God allowed for the peoples of the world, for the ethnicities of the world, apparently, I'm, I'm, just, I'm still putting all the pieces of this together, but the ethnicities of the world to be placed under the authority of certain demonic influences. And that's why we, in Daniel, we read about the Prince of Persia, remember? And we got, we got these, diff, these hints of what was going on in, this, in the heavenly realms. And so God's plan was not just to, to let all, all people go and, be, and serve these false demons, but his plan was that he would choose one little group of people for himself. And I want you guys to see this. Look at the next verse. Deuteronomy 4.19. Or sorry, we just read 19. Verse 20. But as for you, the Lord is speaking to the Israelite people, the Jewish people. He's like, but for you guys, the Lord, speaking of himself, the Lord took you and brought you out of the iron smelting furnace, out of Egypt, to be the people of what? His inheritance. As you are now. I want you guys to see what God's doing. He's like, okay, these people have chosen to go their own way. And they've taken the right to rule this planet. They've handed it over to the devil. And the devil is, um, lets all these um, demonic authorities rule over different people's groups. But I'm taking, I'm, I'm, I ultimately am in control, God says. And I'm going to take this one group of people for myself. They're just a little group of people. And I'm going to keep this group of people for myself. And through them, I got a plan that the devil doesn't know about. Because through that group of people, there's going to be a redeemer that comes, and he's going to set the world free. So here's what I want you guys to see. In regards to this, the most significant event in human history is the death and the resurrection of Jesus. And I want you to see that it is the most significant event in history because when Jesus dies, I want you guys to get this. You guys hear what I just said? That there's these barriers between all these ethnicities that are controlled by demonic forces. And when Jesus dies, guess what happens? When Jesus dies, the barriers that have been put between people groups by the devil himself 
he reclaims all people to himself, and the barriers are gone. And this is why, do you guys remember when Jesus, just before Jesus left, and he stands with his disciples, and he tells them what's going to happen? He says in Matthew 8, 28, 18, he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. You know why he's saying that? Because it hadn't been his. It had been under all these, all these local deities. And he's like, now I have won the right. I, I, I purchased with my blood the right for all people. Is that exciting or what? And so I want you guys, when he does that, what that does is that all the racial divides and all the separation of the people of the world is gone. And that's what happens at Pentecost. Remember in Pentecost when all these people are in Jerusalem and the church is born and all these languages are, are being spoken by the apostles and God is saying, we're bringing all people under the authority of Jesus because he bought the, the right to rule the world with his blood. Okay, I want you to see this in Ephesians 2, 11, okay? Ephesians 2, 11. Okay, guys, we're still with me? I know we're all, all getting past halfway through the semester, so I know it's hard, but... You guys can sleep in your, in your professor's classes, but not here. Okay. <laughs> Ephesians 2.11. Guys, this, this is, I mean, I'm excited about this stuff. The reason I'm teaching tonight in spite of my busy schedule is because I'm like, wow, this is cool. I got to teach this. Ephesians 2.11. Remember that, therefore, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles. Guess what? You guys are Gentiles. Anybody here not a Gentile? Okay, all you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised by those who call themselves the circumcision, that done by, in, the hands of, in the body by the hands of men, verse 12, remember that there was a time when you guys, all of you who are here at the Cornerstone tonight, you guys were all separated from Christ. You guys were excluded from citizenship in Israel and foreigners to the covenant of the promise without hope and with, without God in the world. But now... In Christ Jesus on that day at the greatest event that's ever happened in human history, you guys who were once far, far away, you guys got brought near through the blood of Christ Jesus that bought you. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace between the races. That's what it's talking about here. Who has made the two, the meaning the, the Jews and all the other people, he has made them, where are we, one, and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. In fact, in the temple in Jerusalem, there was a dividing wall. And Josephus, he describes what is written on that wall, that there is a place. If you're a Gentile, you can come this far, and you can't go any further because you are substandard. And what Paul is saying, what the Holy Spirit is saying through Paul here, is that that dividing wall that kept people out has been abolished abolishing in his body, in his flesh, that law and his commandments and regulation, that law that you, that, that you were separated. His purpose, Jesus' purpose. Guys, what, if I ask you, what's, what was the purpose of Jesus? You're like, well, he, was, he, he died to save me. Well, that's true. It wasn't just for that. His purpose, it says here, was to create in himself one new man, one, one community out of the two, thus making peace between the races. That's what it's talking about here. And in this one body, to reconcile both of them to God through the cross. It was the cross of Jesus by which he put to death their hostility. The hostility between the races has been put to death at the time when Jesus died, and anybody who wants to talk about racial stuff just needs to stop, please, because it's over at the, at the cross of Jesus. It is over. Where are we here? Um, 
by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, he came and he preached peace to you who were far away and those peace to you who were near both sides. For through him we both have access to the Father by one spirit. We are one race. We are one group of people. There is no more division between the people of the earth. Anybody who wants to believe it just is, it's because, anybody who wants to believe there's still division, it's because they don't understand what Jesus did. Consequently, verse 19, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Racism is dead. Amen. That's right. Thank you, Jessica. Okay, so this is what it's like. It's like at the fall, when humanity sinned, all the people groups of the world, they've, they're put under these various demons. They're put under various stories. There's dividing walls between all of them. And God actually allowed it. In fact, he, he let that happen at Babel, remember? And he did it so that people would ultimately seek and find him. Through Jesus. And Jesus declares equity for everyone so that's the first thing the first thing that makes the, the death of jesus on the cross totally significant is what he did between the races and i wanted to point that out here because when i read about simon of Cyrene being this guy who had to carry the cross and realizing that he had to do that because he was a probably different color than other people in jerusalem i thought we got to talk about this because it's not happening here ever Okay, second thing that makes the death of Jesus the most significant event in history is what we read in the next verses. So we're back in Luke 23, you guys remember? We're in Luke 23, verse 27. This is what it says. A large number of people followed Jesus. Remember where he's going. He's go he's, he's, he had been carrying his cross. Now Simon Sarin is carrying his cross. He's headed out. He's going to be put to death. People are following him, including women who mourned and wailed for him. Have you guys ever heard people wail? Anybody want to demonstrate? Okay, that's, that, that's a good try. Okay, Jesus turned and said to them, who did that, Timothy? Yes. Timothy, you can do better than that. I know you can. Come on. Yeah, okay, that's much more like it. Can you do that for the next hour or so so we get an idea of what it's like? Okay, good job, Timothy. Jesus turned and said, Timothy and daughters of Jerusalem. He didn't say Timothy. Daughters in Jerusalem, don't weep for me. Don't weep for me. Weep for yourselves and for your children. For the time will come when you will say, Blessed are the barren women, the wombs that never bore, and the breasts that never nursed. Then they will say, and then he quotes from Hosea, They will say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if men, if people do these things when the tree is green, what are they going to do when things get really bad, Jesus is saying. Well, here's the takeaway from this, guys. This is what I want you guys to, to get is the death of Jesus was the most significant event in history because it was through the death of Jesus that justice was accomplished. And I want you guys to see what this means. I want you guys to think about this. Justice means that for every action, there is a reaction. That is, if someone does something wrong, there's an imbalance in the universe. Does that sound like something from Star Wars or something? It's like, there's this imbalance in the universe if somebody does something wrong. Then that imbalance must be corrected. It must be reconciled. Have you guys seen the, what justice is personified as? Do you got that, that picture that I sent you? Has any, oh yeah, scales. And who's the scales held by? A woman. A woman. And she's blindfolded. There she is. And she got a sword there. I don't know if the sword... Yeah, I, but anyway, woman blindfolded with a pair of scales. What's the point with her blindfold? Yeah. 
What's that? She doesn't see race. She doesn't judge according to whether the person before her, her is old or young or black or white or male or female or whatever. She judges not by what she sees or what she feels, but by where the, what, what, what the truth. Okay? Okay. So, the, so justice is pictured as a scale. It's like this. If someone took advantage, just think about all the way back at the dawn of human history, if somebody took advantage of another person, or if they lied, or if they took something that wasn't theirs, or they rejected the truth, or they lusted, or they coveted, or they hated, it, it would be like, with every one of those mess-ups, it was like a pebble was added to one side of the scale. Pebble after pebble after pebble. Hey, buddy, you come to preach? Does that... He's a, he's a first-timer at the merge. Glad you're here. You in college? He's not in college yet, but almost. He thinks he is. Okay, guys. So just think, with every wrong that humanity has ever done, that every person has ever done, everything that you've ever done wrong, it was like putting a pebble or a grain of sand on this scale, and as that scale got heavier and heavier and heavier. It got to the point where it seemed like there was no justice in this world and that it didn't matter whether anybody did right or wrong or not. But justice, justice means that there is a great accountant. There is a God. There is a law that records all the tilting of the balance. And ultimately, that there would be a day of reckoning when that would have to be balanced out again. And guys, this is what happened at the death of Jesus. It was on that day, on that day when Jesus died, that that imbalance of the scale was finally balanced out. If people would accept it. All sin was paid for. It was like all the sand, all the grains of sand, all the little pebbles that had been put on one side, it was, it was as Jesus came and he balanced it all out and it was all paid for but people could reject it. And the reason that Jesus is speaking to this woman and saying, don't cry for me, cry for yourselves, is because here they are putting Jesus to death. But Jesus knows that the people right there wouldn't accept his payment and that the penalty for all that wrong, that they, that they refused to accept the balancing of Jesus for, would therefore, because they refused to accept what Jesus' payment was, that it would all be poured out on them. And what Jesus is saying is 38 years from now, he doesn't tell us the timeline, but 38 years after this, every one of them either is killed or is taken into slavery because they refused to accept what Jesus had offered them. And so what happened at the death of Jesus, the significant thing that happened when Jesus died, is that justice was finally balanced for anybody who would take it? And those who didn't ultimately experienced the wrath of God. Okay, third thing that happens at the death of Jesus that makes this the most significant event in history, I want you guys to see in verse 32. Verse 32, he's out there. They put him on a cross, and two other men, both criminals, were also let out to be executed. When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him along with the criminals, one on his right and the other on his left. And Jesus, look, check this out. This is a verse worth circling in your Bible. Jesus said, Father, forgive them, 
for they do not know what they are doing. And they divide up his clothes by casting lots. When he says forgive them, who's the them he's talking about? Humanity, exactly. He's not just talking about the criminals. on He's say, he saying everyone who put him on the cross. Who put Jesus on the cross? I put Jesus on the cross. We put Jesus on the cross. Jesus went to the cross because of your stinking, selfish sin and because of mine. Verse, 50, verse 35, the people stood there watching and the rulers even sneered at him. They said, he saved others. Let him save himself if he's the Christ of God, the chosen one. And the soldiers also came up and mocked him. And they offered him wine vinegar and said, if you're the king of the Jews, save yourself. And there was a notice written above him which read, this is the king of the Jews, put there by Pilate. One of the criminals who hung there hurled their insults to him and said, aren't you the Christ? Save yourself. And one of them. So they got a criminal on this side, criminal on this side. And one of the guys is like, yeah, if you're so great, if you're the king, why don't you save us too? But the other criminal rebuked that guy. And he said, don't you fear God? He said, since you're under the same sentence, we are punished justly. For we're getting what our deeds deserve. But this man, he's done nothing wrong, spoken, speaking of Jesus. And then look at his faith here. Verse 42, then he said, Jesus, would you remember me when you come into your kingdom? And Jesus answered him, I'll tell you the truth. Today, you'll be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, about noon. And darkness came over the whole land until the ninth hour. For the sun stopped shining. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two. That's worth underlining. Jesus called out with a loud voice and said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. And when he said this, he breathed his last. And the centurion, that is the, the, the chief police guy that's there, seeing what had happened, he praised God and said, Surely this was a righteous man. And when all the people who had gathered to witness the sight, saw what took place. They beat their breasts and went away. But all those who knew him, including the women who had followed him from Galilee, stood at a distance watching these things. Okay. What makes Jesus' death the most significant event in history is that when Jesus died, here's what I want you guys to write down. First, first thing that, that happened when Jesus died was, was that... Did you guys catch the first thing? What was the first thing? That's right. Separation of races was destroyed. Races brought back together. The second thing was justice. The demands of justice finally met. The third thing is that his death opened up the way for people, including you and me, to be forgiven of all the stuff we've done. Once again, verse 34, he says, Father, forgive them. Forgive the whole human race because they don't know what they're doing. Just think about what Jesus is asking for. He's asking that the things that they're doing wrong, the way that they're treating him, that that would not be held against him. I want you guys to think about what that means. That means just, justice means that they should get what they deserve. What Jesus is saying is don't give them what they deserve, but give me what they deserve. What Steve deserves, what Ashley deserves, what Ian deserves, Jesus says, Take all that and put it on me. And the, the criminal who's there being crucified alongside of Jesus, look, look, at, look at how Jesus' prayer is answered. Because there he is in his last hours of life. 
Is he forgiven? Jesus' prayers answered in his life right there. Jesus, forgive them because they don't know what they're doing. And this guy turns to him and says, don't forget me. And that step of faith guarantees him from the one who cannot lie that he has eternal life with Jesus forever. That man's life is saved. And there's somebody else whose probably life is saved too, and that's the centurion. Standing there, and something happened. He, this guy, this centurion, this, this chief of police soldier guy, he was killed thousands of people probably, or overseen the execution probably of thousands of people. He stands there, and he says, there's something different about this guy. You know why? Because Jesus prayed for him. They don't know what they're doing. You know why you're here today? Because Jesus prayed that for you. They didn't understand what they were doing. They didn't understand, you didn't understand that the, all the stinking stuff that you did, all the selfishness was against him and that that put him on the cross. And Jesus is saying, you know what? You didn't understand it. And I'm dying for you. I take your penalty upon myself. So Jesus' death is the most significant event in history because it opened the way for humanity to be forgiven. But there's one more thing that I want you guys to see why this was the most significant event in history. Let me ask you this. Darkness covered the land for how long? Three hours. Okay? So, do you think there's a... So why, why do you think? Why, do you, why is the darkness covering the land? What's going on here? Jesus is dying. King of the universe enters into time and space, becomes human. He dies on a cross. And as he's dying, darkness covers the land for three hours. Do you think... Let me ask you guys this. Do you think there's a connection between what's happening at this, in this story, what's happening in the natural realm, and what's happening in the spiritual realm? Yeah! Do you guys notice how in our, in, in our scientific minds, we tend to make a huge distinction, like a huge gap between what happens in the natural realm and what happens in the spiritual realm? Yeah. The Bible doesn't do that. You see all kinds of places in the Bible where what's going on physically in the, in the, in the world around is a reflection of something that's happening at a deeper spiritual level. You know, we think about the natural world as being over here and the spiritual world as being over here. But those two things can't be separated any more than your mind and your body can be separated. The way your mind is, is a result of the way that you're, you're, it it affects your body. And your body, the way your body is, that affects your mind. These are interconnected things. And what's going on in the physical realm, right there, is Jesus dying. There's three hours of darkness and there's an earthquake and there's other natural phenomenon that's happening. It's a reflection of something that's happening at a spiritual, deeper, deeper level. So So why the darkness? Cloud, okay, cloudy. Okay, it could be cloudy. Mm-hmm. But I mean, what, what? So it might be cloudy. It might be an eclipse. It might be, I mean, whatever it is. What, what, what is, why? What's going on here? What's that? The light of the world. Yeah, I want you guys to think about this. It, it, what is darkness? Absence of light. You guys are excellent. Darkness is nothing. Light is something. Darkness is not. Darkness is simply the absence of light. And what's going on here when the stump, sun stops shining, whatever for reason, whatever reasons that is, we aren't sure. But when the sun stops shining, it was as if nature was demonstrating God's shining face turning away from Jesus, forsaking him so that we won't have to be forsaken. And at the moment that Jesus dies, what happens? Say it again. 
It gets dark. Well, Jesus, it's dark for three hours. But the moment that Jesus dies, Violet's about to tell us that the veil in the temple ripped from in half from top to bottom, physically showing the truth that there was no longer anything holding us back from entering in God's presence. The, the, what makes Jesus' death and resurrection the most significant thing that's ever happened in human history is that when Jesus died, the veil, the separation, not just between the races, but the separation between God and humanity was ripped apart so that we could go into God's presence and have communion with him forever. Amen. Forever. That's what Jesus' death did. That's the most significant thing that, that happened at the death of Jesus is now all you people at the corners don't, don't just have to think about a God that's somewhere out there that maybe likes me and maybe doesn't. Now, he's, because the veil has been torn and he has been let out of the box, the ark where they kept, I mean, the, the, not that he was contained to that, but that was the idea that he was not touchable by humans, that he was separated from humans. And now he lives in your hearts. The veil has been torn and you guys are no longer separated from him because of what Jesus did on the cross. Is that good or what? Yeah. That's good. Now, I want to tell you guys something. You guys want to know, hear, hear more about this veil? I want to tell you about the veil. And I want to, I want to read to you guys again from the Aramaic, the Aramaic edition of the, of the writings of the, of the adopted son of Emperor Vespasian. Okay, remember Vespasian is the guy that destroys Jerusalem first. And then he goes off and becomes emperor. And his son Titus becomes the general who, dist, who ends up destroying Jerusalem. Vespasian adopts Josephus as his son and commissions Josephus to write a history of that war. I told you guys this last week. Josephus writes the history of the war. The first edition is in Aramaic, and it's the version that almost nobody has. The, version, the, the edition that's written in Greek that's really common has a lot less in it that I think is interesting. So I like the Aramaic version better. So let me read you guys what, what Josephus says. You guys want to see this about the curtain? Okay. He's, he describes the temple in detail. Lots of detail. And when he gets, I'm not going to read the whole, the whole description of the temple because it's way too long. But I'm going to read the description of what he wrote about the curtain that was ripped. Okay, you guys want to hear it? You already said, yeah, so I'm going to read it to you. Okay, in the days of our pious father. So remember, Josephus is writing sometime around the end of the first century. In the, in the days of our pious fathers, this curtain was intact. But in our own generation, it was a very, it was a sorry sight, for it had been suddenly rent, that means torn, from top to bottom at the time when, by bribery, they had secured the execution of the benefactor of men. This is cool or what? This is, this is secular, this is not in the Bible. This guy's not as good of a historian as, a lot of, as, as Luke is, but he's still a good historian, and he says that it was ripped when Jesus died. The one who by his actions proved that he was no mere man. He's talking about Jesus. Many other inspiring signs happened at the same moment. Duh, we just read in the Bible. We already knew that, but the LEC backs it up. It is also stated that after his execution and entombment, he disappeared entirely. We know what happened. Josephus, the son of the emperor, doesn't really understand exactly, but some people, he says, actually assert that he had risen. Yeah, we do. We already know. Others retort that his friends stole him away. I, for one, cannot decide where the truth lies. At least, this guy's a humble guy, right? A dead man can't rise by his own power, but he might rise if aided by the prayer of another righteous man. I mean, Josephus is thinking as he's writing this. 
It's like, oh, no, but that man can't rise, but maybe, you know, somebody I praise for him, maybe he can. And again, he says, if an angel or other heavenly being or even God himself takes human form to fulfill his purpose and after living among, among men dies and is buried, he can rise at will, can't he? Duh. Moreover, and then he goes back and he says, like, moreover, it's been stated that his body could not have been stolen away because guards were posted around his tomb. 30 Roman guards and a thousand Jews. Is that good information or what? It's like, why aren't they teaching you guys this in university? This is historical document written by the, the adopted son of the most powerful man, man in the world at that time. Miles. No, not Miles. It was Vespasian, but Miles was raising his hand. Yes, uh, do you guys remember, think about how many people, how many people were in Jerusalem at the time of Jesus' death? There probably a million people. Do you remember the, the uproar that Jesus caused everywhere he went? He was, people were crazy about him. He couldn't find time, he couldn't, he couldn't eat, he couldn't use the bathroom. Everybody's crying him. Now he's put to death, there's crowds, it's crazy. And do you think there's two guards out there? I mean, we imagine this like, this is like way out of the middle of nowhere and there's nobody there. There's 15,000 people following Jesus everywhere he goes. And when they put him in the tomb, they're there and they don't go home. I mean, Easter morning, we imagine that like Mary Magdalene and a few of the women go out and there's nobody there. Well, yeah, there was nobody there at that time. You know why? Because an explosion had just happened and the guards were like dead men. But there, here's what I want you guys to see is there's plenty to back up. What the, what the Bible says. And anybody who wants, who doesn't want to believe what the Bible says, guess what? You don't have to. But you have to find out some way to explain what happened to Jesus and to the th people who followed him who turned the world upside down for the past 2,000 years since then. Jesus' death was the most... Jesus' death and resurrection was the most significant event in history. And you don't have to be a Christian to acknowledge that. It's pretty hard to deny that there's been any other event in history that's had this much impact on the, on the world, on the human race. Jesus died. He rose again. He's alive. He's coming back. And we're going to see him. And I can't wait. Guys, let's stand up and let's pray. Lord Jesus, we know that you're alive because we talked to you today. And you have sent your spirit into our hearts. Living, abiding spirit in our hearts, teaching us about who you are. Thank you, Lord, that you changed history. That you broke down the barrier between us and you. That you gave us the opportunity to be forgiven that you satisfied the demands of justice, that you broke down the dividing wall between the races. And thank you, Lord, that we know you now. Thank you for what you're doing here at the Cornerstone. And I'm just asking that you'll continue to raise up an army of people here at the Cornerstone that will proclaim your praises for eternity. And that the people around the campus and in Arlington and around the world would be changed because of what the people at the Cornerstone are saying. Thank you for these great friends of mine. Thank you for what you're doing in our hearts. Thank you for the Japanese students that are here that you'd bless them, that you'd teach them, that even some, something about what, what you were speaking tonight would be understood by them. We offer ourselves to you. Praise you, Lord Jesus. Amen.